Jaxa Space and Astronautical Science Podcast. Welcome to the Jaxa Space and Astronautical Science Podcast. I'm your host Toshihisa Mikaido. Today we talk with systems engineer and mission designer, assistant professor Naoya Ozaki about two very exciting missions, the Destiny Plus and Comet Interceptor missions. We dive into Naoya's education and work history, and despite still being a young scientist, he already has experience working at the European Space Agency, NASA, and of course JAXA. Well, we mentioned some of the differences between each organization. We talk about language acquisition, playing a musical instrument, and being a new parent. We also discuss much about asteroids, flyby missions, and some potentially useful tools in designing a space mission. Please enjoy. Our guest today from JAXA's Institute of Space and Astronautical Science, system engineer and mission designer, Naoya Ozaki. Naoya, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on this podcast. So I usually just like to start the episode by asking, what is it you do at JAXA? And I don't think we've had any mission designers here. So I guess with special interest on what a mission designer does, can you please explain what it is that you do at JAXA? Yeah. So um, as Toshi explained, I have two different type of expertise, first of all. And then one of that is space mission design. And then the other is system, system engineer. Particularly the space mission designs Probably, I think it's many people are unfamiliar with this mission design, but this mission design is basically designing the space mission, space exploration mission, space science mission, designing its trajectory and sometimes design the concept of operation and whether it meets the scientific requirements. So when you say the trajectory, does that include where exactly you want to go, the, the target of uh, scientific interest in this case? Yes, yes, it is. So, um, well, for example, the, the one mission I, I am involved in is a, a Destiny Plus mission. Maybe I can explain this later in detail. But for example, the Destiny mission, it's asteroid flyby exploration mission. And in those case, First of all, we usually design the, what kind of target asteroid would be achievable by this kind of spacecraft. So usually design process is it's not one direction, but we interactively design with scientists that we interactively design that uh, what kind of uh, science we can do and what kind of mission we can achieve and so on. So in this case, you mentioned that it depends on the uh, spacecraft's abilities as well. Do you generally have, let's say, a pre-designed spacecraft for the mission, and you have to to sort of mold the mission around those technological limitations, or do you kind of design the spacecraft along with the mission? Usually we design the spacecraft, I mean, based on the scientific requirements. So we can change, but there is technological uh, limitation. And then usually we use a, the uh, heritage, uh, which is already demonstrated in the, in the previous mission. For example, in the case of Destiny mission, we use ION engine, which is already demonstrated by Hayabusa 2. The whole spacecraft itself is uh, uh, smaller than the Hayabusa 2. And also the launch vehicle is different than, I mean, different from Hayabusa 2. 
So the whole system architecture is really different, but uh, the some subsystem or some components is the same. So there is a kind of limitation we have. These systems that are different from the Hayabusa 2, I, I guess there's a lot of similarities and, and in some differences as well. When you have differences between them, are some of these sort of taken from or, or uh, heritage from other missions and sort of all put together into this new mission? Or are some of these parts like completely from the ground up new? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, but in the case of Disney mission, maybe I, I should explain the detail about this Disney mission now. Uh, yes, if, if we can get into that, I'll probably ask you in more detail about missions uh, later on as well, but it would be great uh, to, to okay. hear about this one, yeah. Okay, those kind of things is also uh, really depend on the mission, and then usually the engineer want to put a lot of new technology on his spacecraft, but scientists, the scientists want to ask us, an engineer, to surely achieve this scientific mission, right? So that is why the, the current stage is really at the difficult balance between the like new, newly demonstrated things and the also already demonstrated things. Uh, in the case of Destiny, it's a uh, uh, it's technology demonstration mission, actually. So we call it technology demonstration mission. So that is why we involve several new technology like, for example, the uh, solar array panel is way larger than Hayabusa 2, and it also uh, has one access gimbal gimbaling system. And also, thermal control system is really new. So, we demonstrate those kind of technology, but some part of technology is the, uh, just, uh, we will just use from previous mission. Is it difficult to get the, the funding or the permission to actually do a uh, technical demonstration? Because I don't know the actual cost of the, the Destiny mission, but I would assume that it's not uh, cheap by any means. And when the technology, and, and uh, although I, I do personally think that both of these are definitely necessary for uh, making progress in the space industry, I think it's harder for a lot of people to grasp the technology coming before the scientific goal of the mission. So is this, is this more difficult to get funding or is that not really uh, something of concern here? Well, yeah, actually this is a very uh, interesting question. And then at ISIS, actually it's not that difficult. So I was in the European Space Operations Center when European Space Agency and a JPL before, but the dose station was a bit different, but at ISAS JAXA, the, I would say the engineer is a bit more stronger than the other agencies. So in the ISAS mission, we usually demonstrate some kind of technology in some mission. So it's quite rare to do some kind of purely scientific exploration mission. For example, in the case of Hayabusa 2, we have like impactor that this is purely, I mean, the technological demonstration mission and also we can achieve a scientific result though. Um, also there is a, the capsule, a sample return capsule itself is also the kind of new technology, something like this. So we usually, um, JAXA mission, ISIS mission usually involve a lot of technology. That is why we can easily get, well, I, I cannot say easily, but <laughs> I, I <laughs> Uh, relatively easy get uh, funding for that technology demonstration mission as well. In your experience, uh, most other organizations, the engineers, I guess they would have less say 
in the in the objective of a mission than they do yeah at uh, at Jackson at ISIS yeah this is what i said yeah going back to the subject of mission design itself would you actually design the mission from the ground up and be the first person to actually say oh, we should go here or we should go there or we should uh, maybe if it's a, a technological demonstration you might uh, pick a, a target nobody's even been to before I, i don't know what like what are your limitations on that and from what stage until what stage are you involved in the mission yeah so in the case of destiny for example it's mm-hmm. the destiny project itself has been launched really long time ago i would say 10 years ago so i was not involved at that moment but mission designer in general is usually involved at the beginning of mission for example in the case with destiny uh, another mission designer who is uh, my current boss professor yasuhiro kawakatsu has been involved in this mission and he is one of the uh, founder of this destiny mission usually jaxa mission is not very rich for example the cost in the cost wise and also the uh, launch capability is quite limited So that is why the mission design feasibility is really important to open a new space exploration mission. That is why usually the uh, mission designer is usually involved at really beginning of the mission. For example, in my case, I am also doing another mission, but I am involved in the, this mission at the beginning. Yeah. There is another interesting thing is that the, uh, many project manager of space exploration mission at ISS JAXA is based on the mission design expert actually uh, for example the professor Yuichi Tsuda who is a project manager of Hayabusa 2 is also he also has a background in mission design and professor Isohiro Kawakatsu is currently a project manager of the MMX he also has a background of uh, mission design So the mission design uh, will probably get you far in the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As a mission designer then, or a lot of the time mission designers uh, are, are at the project from the very beginning, but once the actual, the, the objective and the technological capabilities, the feasibility, everything is, is all planned out. As a mission designer, what are you doing on Destiny now? And mm. is the mission designer generally on the project from the very start until the very end, or just the beginning is more important? Yeah, so in my case, that is why I have several different type of expertise. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other expertise that I said is system engineer, uh, particularly related to guidance navigation control or attitude and orbital control system, AOCS. So in my case, in the currently I'm, I'm developing a, a flyby uh, control system of Destiny and also planning the, the operation of the spacecraft. Do you have a launch date on, on Destiny? Yeah, uh, Destiny will be launched in 2024 or a bit later. Or later, hopefully, hopefully earlier if everything <laughs> goes well. Yeah. yeah. Once it has launched, what would you be doing after that? So uh, usually the trajectory, the trajectory design itself has to be, has to be updated um, day by day uh, because the spacecraft has 
sudden uncertainty. For example, like、uh, considering ion engine operation, the,、uh, we may have、uh, some kind of error of on the thrust direction, and then we may have contingency、uh, shutdown of spacecraft system, and then the trajectories are、uh, deviated from、uh, nominal one. So, for those cases,、uh, we have to update the trajectory. Usually, the, the trajectory designer, I mean, well, at this phase, we usually call the flight dynamics team or flight,、uh, yeah, I would say flight dynamics team. It's usually design and update trajectory, for example, weekly based on the current、uh, navigation result. So, you will be, I guess, checking the trajectory regularly and then、yeah. maybe being one of the people who actually updates the trajectory when it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.、Yeah. I understand. And, and I guess that would be sort of like a consistent thing you do weekly until the mission has,、uh, has been completed. Yeah. Yeah. So, in terms of the feasibility of a mission, which you also brought up, how Strict is this based on the current scientific technology as well as the perceived cost of a mission? If you wanted to say, propose a mission to Neptune or Europa or wherever,、uh, what, would, what would happen if you, if you tried that? Would they, would they say, <laughs> no, this isn't possible? Or, or would you actually be able to sort of you know, do back and forth and maybe try and find a way to make it possible? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting question. And then we are, I mean, as an engineer, as a mission designer, I have to say that, you know, some mission can do and some mission cannot do. But as an engineer, I want to say that, you know, the, the JAXA can also do a Neptune or Uranus mission, but、mm-hmm. maybe we need some kind of technology demonstration before that. Though at the current level, unfortunately, At this moment, I have to say that JAXA cannot do、uh, the Uranus Neptune mission because we don't have the RTG, which is a radio, a radio isotope thermal electric generator. So basically, the, the, we have to deal with radioactive material, but we don't have technology to deal with these kind of things at this moment. So, but maybe Saturn or Um, maybe closer to Saturn, like Jupiter, maybe we can launch this kind of mission. Although the launch capability is limited and, the, and also budget is limited. So we、mm-hmm. have to find a solution. But that is、uh, technically, those missions、uh, is doable at ISAS as well. So, if you did want to go to, let's just say, Neptune, for example, then the technology demonstration would actually be a huge step in getting, getting towards this. So, I'm, I'm not sure how you would design a mission to, to show the tech to get there. I guess that would be part of the、uh, energy technology and、uh, maybe limiting costs within a separate mission to a, a separate target, then, such as an asteroid. Yeah, yeah. So, you sort of take it one step at a time and make sure that the current mission is, well, maybe striving for something new, also feasible. Well, we're on the subject of missions. You mentioned that you were involved in a, a separate mission as well. Can you explain what, what that other mission is, the one that isn't Destiny? And, and if you're involved in any other missions as well, can you sort of give a brief overview of 
what that mission is, its objectives, and maybe your role in the mission personally? Okay, so uh, I'm also involved in the Comet Interceptor mission, which is a joint mission with ESA. So in the Comet Interceptor mission, maybe you can imagine what we will do from the, its name. Uh, the Comet Interceptor explores the comets, particularly for the long period comet. And this long period comet, so long period comet means the, the comet which is never come closer to the sun. Uh, and then comets, comets is uh, usually it's a uh, uh, volatile rich uh, bodies. So it's involved, it includes a lot of uh, mineral, um, water, ice, and so on. If the, the comet uh, come close to the sun, usually most many uh, water, ice, and uh, uh, organic material is evaporated, and we lose uh, initial shape of the comet. That is why if we can explore the long period comet, which has never get close to the sun, uh, we can see the, we can watch the uh, original shape of the, the comet. What would understanding the original shape of, of the comet, do you have sort of like a, a goal in mind or something that you, even if it's uh, just on a personal level, something that you would actually hope to achieve in terms of, of you know, knowledge based on the results that you expect you might find from that? So uh, what we are thinking that this kind of comet is coming from the old cloud, which is very distant from the sun, but it's involved in the solar system. And then, unfortunately, we cannot, uh, it's very, very difficult to directly explore this, this kind of bodies because, because it's uh, very far. Uh, even in the uh, Voyager, Voyager 1 is currently at uh, 156 AU from the sun. 1 AU is the distance from the sun to the earth. So right, right. it's 156 times that distance away from yeah us yeah now. yeah okay. so voyager one is quite quite far right but the old crowd bodies exist in 10,000 au distance from that's the sun. a lot further <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a uh, hundred times more than the voyager one distance so we have to spend like roughly speaking we have to spend 100 more time to send the voyager to that old crowd with the current technology, we can't really go there and, and research it, the old cloud. So we want to research a comet that may have passed through or even originated in the old cloud a lot closer by. So we can, I guess, do the next best thing then by uh, researching yeah. something that has properties. If we can't research the area itself, we research something from that area as, with as little contamination as, as possible. Hmm. Can you tell me a bit more about the, the engineering side of the Comet Interceptor as well? Because the mission itself sounds quite interesting, but uh, how, how is this feasible? How do you sort of catch up to a comet? What do you, what do, you do with the engineering side? Yeah, so it's a Comet Interceptor. Is, as I said, it's joint mission with ESA, European Space Agency. So JAXA provide um, small spacecraft to the ESA, and then the ESA uh, launched the whole integrated system to the space. Uh, JAXA provide, I mean, 30 kilogram small spacecraft. Like we sometimes call CubeSat or small micro spacecraft, but 
this kind of size. Uh, and then the uh, in, so integrated spacecraft system uh, will be put on the uh, SANNAS L2 Lagrangian point. And then at this L2 Lagrangian point, the spacecraft is staying at this point. And then the once that we found the comet, because it's it's never come to, to the sun, so we don't know when it comes. The comet interceptor have to wait at this L2 Lagrangian point. And uh, once we found the spacecraft escape from this Lagrangian point and then fly by the comet. It will wait until the, the comet gets to a particular point and then it will, I guess, intercept it as the name, uh, as the yeah. name says there. Right. Yeah. That, and has this kind of mission ever been done before? No, actually not. So we called the, this type of mission is called rapid response mission. And then recent year, many space agencies in, are interested in this rapid response mission, but uh, we have never successfully achieved this kind of rapid response mission. So Comet Interceptor will be the first mission. That's exciting. We'll have to see how that goes. When roughly is the date for that? For the so launch we and will, the actual interception? Yeah we, yeah, we will launch this spacecraft in 2029. 2029, so still but, a ways away. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe two, three years later, we could fly by. Um, but two, 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 I would say five years, we could fly by the this comet. So somewhere around 2034, maybe? Yeah, something out there. Yeah. So just in case you're listening in the future, we're currently in 2022. So still a, a little <laughs> ways off. Twelve. So in 12 years, yeah. we might have uh, some data on, on that. Yeah. Which is still a lot faster than if we wanted to actually go directly. Should, uh, exactly. I guess be a few centuries, maybe. <laughs> <I didn't laughs> yeah. uh, calculate yeah. the exact number there, but yeah, Th this might be a bit more on the science side. But I was wondering, do you know that the this particular comet has not already been close to any other suns? I guess any other stars, or is it just that we know that it hasn't been by our particular sun? Very interesting question, and then. We expect that it's never across to the other stars as well. But it, if it happens, that means this body is not from solar system, but from the other system. And then the human being has never uh, directly explored this kind of object. So if you can explore that uh, uh, this kind of uh, bodies, then uh, well, it's way interesting, I think. So that's uh, that would be an extra. That would be even yeah. better than what you're already planning. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I think I kind of forgot to ask what the objective of of destiny was when we were mm. on that earlier. Mm. I know that you would be going to an asteroid, but what what would you be hoping to to find out from the asteroid? But I, I suppose the the technological demonstration might be perhaps the main ob objective in some ways, but on the asteroid, will it be a similar mission to Hayabusa 2 where you'd want a sample return or is there some other objective? So, um, so this thing has two, I would say there is two different mission objectives. And one of that is, as I said, uh, technological demonstration, mm -hmm. uh, particularly of ion engine and uh, solar array panel and so on. 
Uh, the other mission objective is the uh, flyby, particularly the multi flyby to the asteroid. So unfortunately, it's not sample return. So, uh, you know, that, that is why we cannot get a uh, uh, very detailed information about this body. Mm -hmm. But instead, uh, for the sample return mission, we can only uh, launch such mission in every 10 years uh, in JAXA. But the multi-flyby mission is can explore the multiple uh, smaller bodies using one spacecraft. Roughly speaking, I would say that uh, we can fly by the some another asteroid uh, once several once uh, several years. Mm -hmm. You said that the the actual sample return missions are only about once every ten years. Is this due to financial limitations or financial limitation? Yes, mainly okay. financial limitation. So the, the sample return mission is, is far more costly, I suppose, than yeah. the, the flyby. And yeah. just to, to make sure that understand what the, the flyby is exactly, you you get very close to the uh, target body and you sort of do a, a, you go around it the whole time you're taking maybe uh, images and, and perhaps videos of the uh, target object while you're going around it. Yeah, but it's close. I mean, this flyby mission is just a uh, flying by, so uh, we cannot uh, see the uh, 360 degree, but we can only see the uh, one side. Oh, once. Of, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, uh, bodies. So you 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 fly by. You don't you don't actually go around it. I guess yeah. I guess that makes sense, especially with uh, with an asteroid. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of interesting information there about uh, about these missions so when you actually have all this this information let's say maybe you want to put together like a, a research paper or something in the end and maybe this might again be something on, on more on the science side of things but uh once i i think even as an engineer maybe not quite as much as uh, an astrophysicist for example but you're probably putting out research papers every now and then how do you how do you actually put together a, a research paper as a, a mission designer or, or even as a systems engineer? And what are the important points that you take into account when you are writing or putting together a, a mission uh, research paper? Usually, also I said to type of expertise, but uh, when I write a paper, I am publishing as a mission designer or astrodynamicist. What I'm thinking the most important is that considering the, uh, the motivation from the project. In the case of Destiny, for example, that as a one of the technology, technological demonstrations, Destiny will launch with small launch vehicle, and then it's the spacecraft inside it to the not interplanetary orbit, but it's orbiting around, around the Earth. And then using the ion propulsion system, Destiny gradually changes its orbit and then escape from the Earth's orbit to the deep space using a, a lunar flyby. So uh, actually the Destiny is a world's first mission to escape to, 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 the, um, to the deep space from the uh, Earth's orbit, which means the trite design of such a Destiny mission is really difficult. And then there is several challenge, challenging parts which has never been 
absorbed yet. So uh, we have this kind of uh, motivation or major problem at the beginning. And then to solve this problem, we try to come up with idea uh, concerning the previous technique that uh, we have used, and then design the trajectory, and then usually publish paper about how we design this trajectory. So we usually explain that like the, the whole technique to design the trajectory in the paper. So most of the papers you, you would publish are on uh, a, a specific technique and most of them would be more so practical engineering that people could utilize for their own flyby missions as well. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have published two different types of paper and depending on the situation. For example, I write, sometimes I write a paper about practical disease, uh, trajectory mission design overview. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I explain the more theoretical side, like the theoretical side of the traffic design. And do, do you have a, any recent paper that maybe we could take a look at? Maybe I'll put it in the show notes if anybody's interested. Yeah. It could be, so either be practical or theoretical, whichever, whichever, anything that recent that you uh, might be proud of particularly. Yeah, it's a relatively um, theoretical paper, but I recently published paper of designing a, a multi-pool asteroid flyby trajectory for the Destiny Plus. Uh, so it's theoretical, relatively theoretical size. So uh, I explained that how to design this trajectory. Um, then maybe as you can imagine that the, as there is uh, uh, more than one million asteroid has been discovered so far. And then multiple asteroid flyby exploration, traffic design of this multiple asteroid exploration is, we have to consider a combination of the asteroid. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes called combinatorial optimization, like we explore the asteroid A first, and then there is a million target to be selected as the next candidate. And then after there is medium, right? So it's usually we experience the combinatorial explosion that is why we need a kind of some kind of special technique to uh, solve this problem with relatively small time, small computational time. Mm -hmm. So what I introduced is uh, um, created the uh, the black box model of the trajectory optimization results using a machine learning technique. So the a neural network solved the trajectory, I mean, the approximate, the result of trajectory optimization without solving trajectory. Then the usual computation, we have to spend like several seconds to design the trajectory. But um, if you use this machine learning result, I mean, with the prediction of neural network is, you know, it's very fast, like millisecond or something. So we can, then we can comprehensively explore the, the whole such space. And this will help flooring more asteroids within a, a, a small it, amount of time. Exactly, exactly. If I remember, I'll add a link in the show notes to that, uh, that paper so anybody who's interested can check it out. Can you just tell me roughly how is your day organized? When you get to work in the morning, what do you do first? Are you... Do you have to put on a, a coffee before you sit down or how does that work? <laughs> yeah, I usually te telecommuting. 
Oh yeah, recently I guess a lot of people recent are, cheap. and a lot of people who are doing I guess uh, mostly computational work are mm, able to yeah. uh, telework, which is 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 nice. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm usually what I need is you know computer. I mean, I mean, I do a, either computation or meeting, so that is why this is enough. So I usually go to the ISAS once a week, but other than that, I stay home. Uh, and then after I woke up, um, I usually uh, give the break, breakfast to uh, my uh, daughter, <laughs> around two years old, my daughter. Oh, I just have then... uh, a son roughly the same age. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I started working around uh, 9 to 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then usual day, I mean, working day, Weekday, I have a lot of meeting actually. Oh, <laughs> productive meetings, I hope. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it depends depend on the meeting, but it's a lot of meeting. Mm-hmm. So, some meeting is about, I mean, the destiny, some meeting about commit interceptor, and sometimes about research for the, I mean, for the students. They usually have time to analyze the, for example, trajectory, for example, um, one or two days per week. Other days, just spending for the meeting. <laughs> so it's maybe, been quite a few maybe, meetings. Maybe, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe this is 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 not interesting for the audience. <laughs> I, I suppose it depends on the the context of the meeting, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe the the meetings part. People listening who aren't in the in academia or the the scientific field can still relate very easily to that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's uh, I see, and and that's basically what you do from when you start work around from between nine and ten until I, I guess somewhere in the in the late evening, maybe uh, mm. maybe early evening yeah. if you had a productive day. Yeah. Mm. Can we go over your career history? Because it sounds like you've actually been to a lot of different places, maybe a lot of different organizations as well. From as far back as you feel comfortable talking about where you were born and raised, uh, where you went to school or university, I assume that your first language is, is probably Japanese. So where did you learn English along the way? And, and all that is, you know, as, as much as you feel comfortable talking about, uh, I would be interested in hearing about that. Okay, yeah. I born in the west side of Japan, uh, which is called Hyogo Prefecture. And I born uh, in Kobe and then grown up at, in Akashi. Uh, during high school, I didn't go to the usual high school. Uh, there is a several special high school in Japan, which is called Kosen in Japanese. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, in English, we call National College of technology but it's uh very it's, it's difficult to understand but yeah. it's uh this high school is mixed with a uh, college uh we spend uh, five years to learn technical contents technological contents at early high school days in my case i was in the department of mechanical engineering so i start learning mechanical engineering at first year high school student wow yeah. I think that's a lot earlier than, than most people start anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, actually, that is, is a lot of advantage when I entered the university. And then I entered the university after I finished this college. 
so uh, we can enter to the university at the second year university course after I finish this the uh, college a course in college. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, in my case, I entered to the Department of Aeronautics and Astronautics in the University of Tokyo. Oh, you went to uh, the University of Tokyo. It's, uh, yeah. I guess, one of, one of the top-rated universities in the, I, I guess, even in the, in the world, maybe. It's, uh, <laughs> Wait, at, at least in Japan, yes. But yeah, at least in Japan. In yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't have a list of the, the rankings in front of me, but uh, I, I assume <laughs> it's pretty, pretty high up there. Yeah, and I entered the University of Tokyo, uh, Department of Aeronautics and Astronautics, but this aeronautics and astronautics is quite similar to the mechanical engineering. So that is that is why I have I had a lot of advantage than the other students at that day actually. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I spent a bachelor, master, and a PhD degrees at University of Tokyo. And then uh, during that day, uh, I belongs to the uh, small satellite laboratory under the professor Shinichi Nakasuka and the professor uh, Ryu Funase. Luckily, I developed uh, our own, uh, we, we could develop our own uh, micro spacecraft that explored the deep space. So we launched uh, this uh, small micro spacecraft with Hayabusa 2 spacecraft, and then it's go to the heliocentric orbit. It was this, this is after you uh, completed your PhD or while you were still doing it? This was launched in 2014. And then at that point, I was a first year PhD student. Ah, sorry, second year master student. Yeah. So luckily I can, I was involved at really at the beginning of this project and then at end of the project as well during uh, uh, my student days. I guess in terms and of then, uh, connection with the work that you're doing now, it was, it, it really worked out quite nicely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really lucky that I can explain the whole uh, life cycle of spacecraft um, development. So during uh, university days, yeah. Uh, and then the, after that, uh, during a PhD course, I went to the European Space Agency, particularly in, in the European Space Operations Center uh, in Darmstadt, Germany. And then I joined the mission analysis section of this European Space Operations Center. So in the mission analysis section is basically there is a lot of um, specialists of mission design and traffic design. So I sort of research uh, under uh, these specialists in ESA. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. was it uh, while you were at ESA where you, you first started using English while you were on the job or, or were you doing that from much earlier? Uh, yeah, uh, I used uh, uh, English frequently in the, the uh, working day at the University of Tokyo as well. So at the PhD course, I communicate with several um, international researchers as well. So I spend uh, roughly once uh, once or twice a week for the, this kind of research meeting with international researcher. The, I didn't say that mentioned, but I this was a, uh, the internship to the ESA. Mm. Yeah, but th this day was really nice. I ex I, I experienced uh, how ESA's 
is working, and then there is a lot of coffee break in ISA. <laughs> uh, really, a lot of coffee break. And then I, I gain a lot of uh, net network with ISA people. Interestingly, uh, you know, currently I'm involved in a comet interceptor mission, but the mission design of this comet interceptor mission has been done uh, by uh, my previous colleague at ISA. So the, the, yeah. you are still keeping connections from uh, during yeah. your internship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the third year PhD student, I went to the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory at Pasadena, California, at JPL uh, as an intern student as well. Uh, and then at that moment, I belongs to the Outer Planet Mission Design group. So there, are, again, there is a lot of uh, mission design specialists and astrodynamics around myself. And then in this environment, I could do uh, uh, research with uh, JPL people. That's already quite impressive because, uh, I mean, we already know that after this, you also come to JAXA. So with so ESA, NASA and JAXA, you've <laughs> worked or, or at least interned at uh, you know, three of the largest space organizations in the, in the world, which is <laughs> quite, quite amazing. I don't think a lot of people have all three of those on their resume. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that was also really lucky. I mean, I'm really appreciated with my uh, supervisor at ESA and JPL. And so this was during your, your third year, you were at uh, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then the the third year is usually final day, final year uh, of the PhD student um, of University of Tokyo. So I finish the, my PhD degree, and then, and then after that, I started my postdoc at ISAS, and then currently the assistant professor at ISAS JAXA. And an impressive, uh, impressive career. Yes. And so you're you. you're an assistant professor now. You said. Yeah, assistant professor. So you will hopefully be getting that upgrade to associate professor soon then. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, from my point of view anyway, you definitely have the uh, resume that would get you an upgrade there. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's but, uh, the, about English. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe you, you asked me that, how and where did I learn English? And then mm -hmm. um, when I was a high school student, I was typical uh, science course student, like uh, who loves uh, mathematics and physics, but not English. Uh, and then I couldn't speak English, uh, not, I mean, at all. I mean, when I was a high school student. Mm -hmm. So maybe I think this is the uh, typical problem of Japanese student that a Japanese education program, particularly the junior high and high school is it's really bad for the uh, English communication. I know the uh, I know a lot of vocabulary and grammar, but cannot speak. Hmm. <laughs> Something like that. But I re realize that the uh, importance of uh, English uh, for my future career when I was a high school student. So I studied the practice of speaking in English at really from really beginner's level when I was a high school student. So I literally start from hello 
<laughs> my name is Naoya Ozaki, and so on. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to start somewhere, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for the practice, I yeah. yeah for the practicing English, um, I really use a lot of podcast channel. Oh yeah, there's a lot of uh, English uh, broadcasting channel or podcast. So I listen a lot of this kind of contents of podcast. And also I watch uh, several movies like Hollywood movie or Disney movie in English to practice this word. I see. Yeah. Is there anything specifically that you think was most effective in in your ability to to learn the language along the way, or is it just sort uh, of a mixture of everything? I'm thinking that the uh, there is two things. Probably I think that was really effective, and uh, maybe three. One of that is uh, a learning vocabulary, but with the perfect pro- pronunciation. See. So, Typical high school student is usually having uh, uh, like the vocabulary book and tangocho in Japanese. Mm-hmm. If we look at just uh, this kind of book, we don't know the pronunciation, right? So I use a, a PC app to learn the vocabulary which uh, can pronounce in the perfect word. So every time I look at this word, I check that this perfect pronunciation. So. This was a, a, one of the good things. Uh, and then the other thing, so as for the vocabulary, this, this was perfect. And then the other things for the speaking is, maybe you know the shadowing? So shadowing like is- Copying someone? Yes, exactly. Yeah, was uh, uh, effective for the, for in my case. Did, did you have a specific person that you were shadowing or, or was that just a sort of a general thing? A gen- general thing, right? Like, when I uh, watch a movie, I like mimicking some uh, kind of some guys, and then. <laughs> so so if they you're watching an action movie and and they're saying oh we have to yeah. deactivate the bomb now you'll say <laughs> we have to deactivate the bomb now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether this is useful or not in your day to day life is, <laughs> I guess yeah it's it's good to have a wide range of of. Uh, yeah, vocabulary pronunciation and uh and understanding yeah. <laughs> just in case yeah. of course yeah yeah and a third one is uh definitely the just act- actual communication mm-hmm. actual communication with uh international uh people including researchers um but uh to i mean even if the very preliminary level and even if you repeat something many times, like just, I mean, repeating self-introduction to different person, I think it's uh, really effective, I feel. Hmm. And, and you started doing most of these things while you were in high school? Yeah. So you've been practicing maybe 10 to 14 or 15 years before you actually got into JAXA then? Did, did JAXA end up asking you if you uh, uh, about your level of English or did they were they not concerned with that when they when you uh, applied? There is, I think they didn't require, mm-hmm. but if you can speak in English, I, I mean, we can gain a lot of, um, and also a good opportunity. So speaking, I mean, if you have ability to speak in English, I think it, 
um, it is very beneficial for your career, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, probably most skills are usually more beneficial than they are detrimental anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, being able to speak uh, uh, other languages, especially in an industry where um, there's a lot of international joint research and I guess uh, English is one of the major languages used at a lot of space mm -hmm. agencies such as uh, NASA and uh, ESA, which, uh, which came up earlier. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it would be, I can see how it would be quite helpful to, to know. On the point of you applying for JAXA, what was it that, that made you want to apply to JAXA initially? I, I mean, at this point, you'd already interned at uh, both ESA and NASA, and you probably could have, maybe you did, I'm not sure, uh, applied to either of those organizations as well. Was there something about JAXA specifically that you were interested in? Was it that you just wanted to stay in Japan? What, what was the reason behind that? This is, I think, well, many people probably may concern. <laughs> At this moment, so, you know, I, I went to the ESA and JPL and, and the current ISOs, and I felt that there is, well, there is, of course, there is similarity, but the uh, culture side is really different. Culture and system is was really different. So, in the end, I prefer the Japanese system, Japanese culture, so I came to the ISOS JAXA. Mm -hmm. But I don't know whether this was the uh, optimal solution, I mean, right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, I, the, the major difference and the main reason why I select the ISOS JAXA is probably, I think, the researcher academia position at ISOS JAXA has a lot of degree of freedom for the doing mission. Now, as I said at the beginning, uh, many uh, mission designer, mission design specialist uh, becomes the project manager of space exploration mission. But maybe it's because I have Japanese nationality, but there is a lot of the, uh, chance to do propose my own mission to actually launch to the space. And then in the case of ESA, for example, I have a uh, the uh, ESA people usually doesn't propose their own mission. The mission is proposed by the community, like university uh, researchers, and then ESA mission design, I mean, yeah, develop the spacecraft uh, based on their requirements. And then at JPL, probably they can propose, but there is a lot of competitors. Mm. <laughs> I just uh, read a book of, uh, Stephen Squires, who is a PI of Mars, Mars, Mars Exploration Rover. And but, just um, uh, to know, PI, I guess, that's Principal Investigator. So that's uh, I guess the, the person in charge of the scientific endeavor. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and a book title is probably, I think, Robin Mars. But in this paper, he, I, it, it is kind of his diary during a Mars Exploration pro, uh, Rover. But even if uh, such a, a fantastic, amazing mission uh, they couldn't select uh, many times. Also, oh, they for, proposed uh, it uh, many times before and it, it got turned down? Yeah, they oh. couldn't get that, that, this, yeah, launch. They couldn't launch. Uh, and then, and then uh, it's, it seems like it's, they spend a really long time for the proposal and then 
reproposal and again. So like about 10 years or more. Yeah, but so and then I really don't know that whether Japanese people can um, propose actual mission to be launched at NASA, I mean, NASA. If you even wanted to attempt to do that, you you might have to first get citizenship in whether it's, uh, I guess at NASA would be American citizenship. So mm. another another big hurdle before you could. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, yeah. I mean, that, that does sound quite amazing. The, the ability to, you know, propose a mission that goes to space. And, and have you actually proposed any missions so far or are you working on any, any proposals? Um, I'm not sure if you could talk about the details or not. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I try to propose uh, several missions, but uh, not, uh, I cannot tell at, at this moment yet. Okay. That's fine. Mm. That's fine. We uh, please, uh, you know, come back and let us know if one of your missions <laughs> yeah. is selected and being uh, yeah. being used. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, yeah. That's that's interesting. So, so JAXA had a lot more freedom in what you were able to attempt to do, at least. Mm. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I also, I, guess... I, I also, I also want to add one more thing is that the usually JAXA is. It's you know it's smaller than NASA, so it's the team. The size of the team is also small. Mm-hmm. Um, that's can why be a good thing, you, yeah, yeah you, you can contribute that several different type of um, uh, subsystems or systems. So this is another good part of uh, uh, JAXA. Mm-hmm. A lot of the teams in JAXA are probably a pretty good size because. Um, Maybe, and I, I don't really know the exact size of teams at uh, NASA or ESA offhand, but I would assume they are quite large. And oh, I, I think with, with a lot of big undertakings, big projects, you 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 probably don't want to be in too big of a team where you end up feeling like just a cog in the machine doing a, a mm-hmm. very particular task and have no freedom. And you probably also don't want to be the, the only person on the team because then uh, it would be way too much and you couldn't handle all that. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense being, you know, having a moderate sized team where you can, mm-hmm. you, you can, I guess, interact with uh, your teammates and also have the freedom to explore new areas of both science and engineering along the way, things that you may not have even initially been assigned to do. That's not to say that there's not a lot of good points about ESA, of course, uh, mm. because they there are some things that they I would say they probably make it easier to do. For example, the the budgets are definitely larger than most of our projects over here, and yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. You know, they have expertise we don't have. We have expertise they don't have. It's I think in, in the end, it it really is you know space as a whole an international endeavor. So. It's not really right, something that right, we can say, right. you know, this is the only yeah. way to do something, but uh, yeah, it might yeah. be one of the, the most enjoyable ways. <laughs> mm, true. Yeah. And so the research side, um, well, the, for example, the mission design research, um, I didn't explain the detail, but uh, for example, I say that in, uh, in Japan, there is um, 10 about 10 mission design specialists, but at JPL, for example, there is hundreds or more. <laughs> so that's a lot of competition, <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah. 
uh, that, that is why they can, uh, they, and also they are publishing many uh, interesting papers, but um, on the other hand, at ISOS, JAXA, many people super busy to doing the project activities and couldn't publish the, couldn't spend the time for publishing paper. And mm-hmm. so, so it's, there, there's pros and cons. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like you are quite busy, not just at JAXA, but even uh, you, you kind of trained specifically for this type of position since high school. So that's, I, I guess, about 14 or 15 years of, of training. And then how many years have you been in JAXA now? Three Three years. Oh, three years. Okay. This is your fourth year now, currently? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I say, yeah, first years, yeah. Not quite t- two decades, but close to two decades, you've been working more or less in this current field or studying for this current field. And it sounds like you're quite busy with your meetings and, and the missions. <laughs> uh, but yeah. what is it that you, you like to do in your spare time, though, when you, when you aren't actually uh, working specifically on a mission? And I guess you mentioned that you have a daughter earlier, so that probably is an enjoyable pastime, maybe takes up quite a bit of time as well. Even including that, are there, do you have any notable hobbies or things you like to do when you're not too busy with work? Yeah, I, um, well, the recent uh, hobby is definitely uh, spending time with daughter, but uh, because mm-hmm. that I, um, I'm playing a guitar. Oh. Uh, yeah, and then I also recently bought guitar, but I recently I couldn't spend the time for practicing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, I love guitar. And then, but when I it's I started uh, uh, these kind of things when from junior high or high school, and then I joined a small like band playing uh, rock music with uh, my friend. And do you still do that now at all? Uh well. I couldn't do these kind of things after I entered university. I, I, I had a several live performance during university, but after that, I completely stopped. But recently, uh, one of my um, JAXA colleague, Go Murakami. Oh, yes, uh, yes. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, realized that uh, the, uh, the abilities that I can play guitar. Uh, then he asked me to playing uh, guitar in his band and then we uh record the music video of zen zen zensei which yeah. is uh, the one of the uh, music by Radwimps, japanese rock musician mm-hmm. uh, and then we upload that uh music video on the youtube so <laughs> please check it <laughs> <laughs> so okay let's uh maybe we can put a a uh, link to that in the description as well so it's, it's <laughs> yeah a- a, a parody of the original th- song then? Right, right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah, yeah it's, this is inspired by the uh, Isa's people. And then Isa's people has also same things. And it's singing a, a Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask, is there any, um, is, is there any problem making these parodies as such a, uh, as members of such large organizations, I think I think NASA actually did a, a parody video a few years back too, and then yeah, uh, and yeah. then ESA was what he So, did do yeah. any of these? <laughs> do you ever get in trouble for these, or is it? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, but, like what the degree of parody, how how uh, how far you can go without yeah. it being problematic. So, 
Yeah, we we have asked we have asked to the the original Ratwimps whether we can upload this video to YouTube, and they agreed that it's okay. Uploaded. So you actually so, got their direct permission to actually, do it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yes. In the case of Isa, Brian May also contributed this music video. So, I probably, so I think definitely everybody probably has the, the proper permissions before. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that uh, the large organizations would, would want to deal with any lawsuits. And <laughs> so that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah we, we actually have quite a few people who have interviewed on this podcast before uh, who played some kind of musical instrument, I think. So it's it seems okay. like a common trait among JAXA employees. They, uh, maybe <laughs> so a lot of employees do seem to to enjoy music and and we've had a few people i think who, who've also played the guitar so i'm starting to wonder if there is some kind of a link between you know playing musical instruments and uh working in engineering and research at uh, space agencies <laughs> uh, or you could write a paper about that <laughs> <laughs> there's uh some correlation there anyway it seems you you said that you're recently I guess your your major hobby I don't know if you call it a hobby or not is is uh, spending time with your daughter is there anything specifically that you do to to uh, spend time together I, I guess the number of things that you can do right now is still somewhat limited you know at uh, like two I mean between two and three years old they learn to do a lot of new things so <laughs> yeah yeah I mean she's 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 growing so fast so I mean the, in in one Several months, months ago, I mean, mm -hmm. um, I I would say the different things, but I mean, at this moment, she started speaking. So just, I mean, the strolling around the street, it's uh, very fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, just chat with her. It's uh, one of the funniest things at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> My son often is, it goes into uh, the negatives and he'll say no, no matter what you ask him at first, even if he wants to do it later, he'll. You know, do you want to go play outside? I was like, no. And, you know, I want to watch TV or whatever. And then two minutes later, was, same. I want to go outside, man. Yeah. <laughs> so same sort of thing. Yes. Sa yeah, same sort of things at this moment. So we call it yayaki in Japanese, but it's... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. She usually... Is, yeah, she currently is saying no at the beginning. Yeah, the... I, I can't think of it in English either, but uh, yayaki, yeah. So... <laughs> the phase where they say no to everything everything is they want to say no even if they even if that's not actually what they want to do so. <laughs> yeah yeah so a lot of a lot of work but a lot of fun there's one thing that I, I really like to ask the guests and I know it might be difficult to come up with an answer for this question that that relates to uh, most people listening but I, I always want to ask if uh, you have any sort of tools or resources that you can recommend to people who are interested in in your field of work, say, I, I guess in this case it would be actual space mission design. So let's say somebody who, who just, they don't, they don't have access to an organization, they don't have the regular resources you might, but they want to design their own mission, whether this is feasible in their position or not, they want to actually try out the mission design. Would you have something to recommend for them to either go about designing the mission or at least learn about trying to design such a mission? 
usually the, we are using our own tools. A mission designer usually use our own tool based on the C uh, program, programming language like C++, Python, MATLAB, and so on. But some of the code uh, written by myself is uploaded on the uh, uh, GitHub, so maybe you can uh, download and check the, how it goes. I can introduce the, one of the, the program called the JAXA Academy, which will be open quite soon. But in the, this JAXA Academy, I try to open the homework program with some kind of the article explaining that how, how we, do we design the uh, trajectory utilizing a gravity assist or swing by using a Python code and several mathematics and physics. I tried to explain uh, to the, uh, the high school student. So probably just all you need is a high school level uh, mathematics and physics, not university level, and Python programming skill. So uh, once it opens, I recommend you to check uh, this article and then implement the uh, Python program by yourself. I usually using a Jupyter notebook, which is uh, the mm -hmm. one of the uh, Python uh, programming script. So and you can just uh, do programming via uh, your browser. So please try to use that. Okay, I, I guess that might not be available right away. Maybe we can, uh, if you have a, a link in advance, we can post the link in the show notes or, or maybe post one later if it uh, is not ready yet. And because uh, this, this sounds like something interesting for people to use, yeah. Yeah, please check it, JAXA Twitter at least, but probably I think it's open in, uh, in, in one week, I think. Oh, in one week, okay, maybe maybe we can put that in the in the show notes then mm -hmm. the direct link to, yeah. to this. So, so I guess for anybody who wants to try that out, it would, and you provide all of the, the code necessary to create a, a flyby mission? Yeah. And then this can be run, I guess. Um, how would it actually look uh, once you run it? Would it be sort of a uh, show up in some kind of uh, simple graphics on the screen showing the yeah, results? Yeah. yeah, you can see the trajectory graph. Mm -hmm. And then the whoever's using it could change some of the variables within the code mm. to get a, a separate trajectory then mm. without having mm. to come up with the entire thing themselves. Exactly. All right. So that's, yeah, that sounds interesting. I guess, as was mentioned, the prerequisites for that would be, I guess, some level of experience with Python and perhaps access to the uh, Jupyter Notebook. That might not be necessary, though. And maybe some level of high school mathematics. So uh, I'm not sure how, how difficult that, uh, that would be, but hopefully... A, uh, the lower level high school mathematics is, is <laughs> I, you just went over that uh, you went to a very specialized school. So your uh, <laughs> okay. idea of high school mathematics might be a little higher than everybody else. I know. <laughs> All right. That's, uh, that's interesting. Thank you for that. I just have a couple more questions here. Um, yeah. One of the other questions that I really like to ask at the end is I know that some of our guests you know, e even though they might be limited to some degree on what they're researching or believe they can research in the future, I think a lot of people, especially 
people who sort of look to space as their work uh, do have audacious goals. And I, I like to ask in regard to that, if, if you suddenly had a near unlimited budget, so let's say you just had a trillion dollars or some ridiculous amount of money put towards your research and you could use that in any way you wanted to, to build something or to, or to research something to launch a mission. So there's no financial concerns at all. What would you want to do? <laughs> yeah, interesting question. So well, maybe first I create a time machine and or get the <laughs> infinite uh, lifetime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. But well, in in the my research field, particularly, it's you know, it's uh, all I need is just a computer. So the lifetime is actually the most important things in my research career. But um, well, the uh, besides considering the astrodynamicist perspective and then more like uh, project oriented things. Mm-hmm. I, I want to launch the uh, tens of CubeSat to the deep space and maybe flying by the uh, several asteroids. As I said, in the like this type of multiple asteroid flyby trajectory, we can fly by one asteroid per several years. So if we launch like, for example, tens of spacecraft, then let's say we can fly by one asteroid per month. And if you can launch more, maybe you can fly by one asteroid per week or something. Then I think the, the current situation will be drastically changed. So, you know, current situation is, you know, we have to wait 10 years to achieve the asteroid exploration. But if we can create this kind of world, every few weeks, we will get additional information about asteroids. You specifically mentioned asteroids as opposed to, let's say, uh, researching planets or moons or stars or, or even comets. What is it about asteroids that specifically interests you? So the, there is a several reasons why I said asteroid here. I think here, asteroid, also I said asteroid. I am also including comets as well. Okay, okay, yeah. Mm. I mean, small body or minor body, mm-hmm. anyway. So the uh, the reason why I think that it's a small body exploration is first of all, it's there is a, a lot of opportunity for the exploration. For example, in the case of Mars or Moon, there is one planet, right? There is no tens of Mars, so tens of tens of moons. So in the case of asteroid, we have we have multiple opportunity to for the exploration to launch multiple spacecraft. As Engineering side, I'm curious to launch the target body itself, but uh, launching a multiple spacecraft. And then in those cases, asteroid will be probably uh, be the uh, appropriate target. That is why I'm talking about asteroid. But mm-hmm. anyway, I want to launch tens or hundreds of small spacecraft and then creating a deep space constellation. I hope that we do get to do that. And I guess e- even with CubeSat, my understanding is that one of the principles was kind of to greatly decrease the cost of uh, launching a single satellite. We're kind of already on the way to being able to launch more and more satellites with less financial constraints. But I I, I do think it's still, you know, more 
expensive than most people <laughs> or even most organizations would be able to uh, spend <laughs> on, on such yeah. things. So definitely having that near unlimited budget would be extremely helpful in this situation. So hopefully we'll, you'll be able to do that uh, and design a, a mission, the 1 million asteroid mission. Look at all of the asteroids discovered. Yeah, yeah, true. One final note. I always like to end the episode by asking the guest if they have any interesting fact, theory, suggestion, or just piece of information to leave the audience with, to, th to think about for the rest of the day, something that they might want to tell their friends or, or their family that, that you personally find to be interesting about either space or mission design or something related to your field in some way. Okay, so um, related to the, my uh, recent publication, uh, recent years, uh, the uh, mission design paper utilizing machine learning getting more popular and popular. So I say in, uh, I am feeling that our mission design activity will be drastically changed in the coming decades. So probably I think instead of uh, utilizing the expert knowledge, which is described in the some mathematical equation, instead of using this kind of expert knowledge, maybe we, we use the um, knowledge stored in the machine learning uh, database. I'm thinking that this kind of things is ca coming quite soon. And then in near decade, instead of in the current technology, when you want to design the spacecraft trajectory, you need a mission design specialist, trajectory tra design specialist like by myself. But in the next decade, probably you don't need trajectory design specialist and you can simply use the Google map type of things. And then just uh, checking the cost and the time to spend to go there. So I want to uh, create this kind of world through my research in the coming decade. Sounds like that would also make space exploration a lot more accessible to people who not just not specialists, but maybe have uh, little experience in space itself. And perhaps this could open up a new age of space exploration, as in exactly. uh, creating a, a lot more accessibility to that. Yeah. Exactly. That is interesting, something to think about, and something for any of our listeners who aren't already uh, mission design specialists or working towards being uh, the trajectory specialist, something for you to perhaps look forward to. It was, uh, it was really great having you on the podcast today, and you shared a lot of extremely informative and interesting information, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us. My pleasure, and thank you for uh, having me again. <laughs>